Hey guys, today's Love and Meets is a special episode because we had two residents on the show, Paris Norris and Harry Amos. They crossed the Pacific in a rowboat. It took them 39 days, 2,800 miles they rowed, and their story is truly epic. It's one of resilience, it's one of bravery, and not everyone could take on this challenge. Take a listen. came back from 39 days at sea in a rowboat. They rowed a total of 2,800 miles through every weather condition known to man and all for a great cause. Welcome to the show, Paris Norris and Harry Amos. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Tell us, <laughs> what were you doing in a rowboat for 39 days? What exactly was the challenge? Well, okay, so uh, how did this all start? Um, so it was COVID. Um, we're all sat in lockdowns uh, around the world. My brother in Sweden, I was here in Dubai, Paris was in Dubai, and Barney, the other member, was in London, and we were all just thinking, what on earth are we going to do next? Um, I had a little bit of exposure to ocean rowing through uh, friends of mine who'd rowed the Indian Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean, um, and it had been on the bucket list, and my brother finally uh, managed to convince me to, to, to do it, and so... Uh, That was the start point, really. Uh, we knew absolutely nothing about what we were getting ourselves in for. <laughs> we uh, thought we had prepared because it <laughs> took two years of preparation. Yeah. But as soon as we got on the water, I think we realized we didn't know what we were doing. Really? <laughs> It's funny because we've got a video of our, our first uh, dispute, which was after <laughs> about 20 minutes. <laughs> trying to, trying to figure out which way was north. North, yeah. Right? You would have thought something like that would be something we could agree on, but we were like, we were like, no, no, no the instruments say it's this way. I was like, no, it can't be that way, Harry. The, the lad's this way. And we were, we were a bit disoriented because America, America doesn't run north and south. It actually runs sort of southeast to northwest. So I was so in my mind, like, north was that way, but actually north was in into the land. And uh, don't worry, we had a compass. And we knew, we figured out But the even right so, if your mind is telling you one thing and this device is telling you another, which well, do you go with? Ah, well, no, that's a good point, actually, because you often do question yourself. You know, you, you, have, you have this sort of image in your mind, you're confident in what you're doing, and the, and the, but the, the gear doesn't line up. Now, as it turned out, we found out after about three days that some of our uh, steering um, equipment wasn't calibrated. And it was out, annoyingly, by... <laughs> only about 20 degrees, but 20 degrees is enough to make you sort of think, is it right or yeah. am I wrong or is that wrong or whatever? And then, and then we had this horrible 24-hour period where we were rowing, desperately trying to get west. But in order to get west, we were sort of rowing into the weather and we doggedly rowed through the night, a horrible side on wind and waves. And then the next morning, we sort of turned on the tracker where we could see where some of the other boats were and we'd pushed annoyingly far north and it was at that point there we realized that we'd definitely been rowing on the wrong bearing after which we then calibrated it which then brought us on and then from then on we were sort of yeah. fine but it was probably about 30 miles 30 nautical miles oh. everyone thought we were going to alaska uh, yeah. we were and we were like it's pretty cold <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, um, and the other thing was is we hadn't figured out in our in all of our training that the compass is actually set the other way So you're looking at it, but you're actually 180 degrees off. So, so we were completely confused. And these are things, I mean, we, we look back and laugh now because we should have oh, figured mate. it out. But uh, we figured it out pretty quick and we got back on track. <laughs> but you, you mentioned, I'm imagining a boat in the middle of the Pacific, like totally wilderness, nothing around you. Yeah. You mentioned other boats. Is this part of a race? 
Yeah. And did you have protection? Like if something get, went wrong, so no, no who protection. could you call? No, no protection. Uh, there is a sort of operations room, if you like, people we can ring if, if things go really badly wrong. But after about three days, you are, uh, you're out of the sort of range of the Coast Guard. And if anything goes wrong, then you're relying on other ships that could maybe pick you up. And, and the phone we have to ring that ops room uh, would help just relay the information to a ship and ideally, that ship would be a cruise liner, but in reality, <laughs> ideally, it's it's uh, it's going to be a cargo ship. Yeah. Um, and uh, although you know, actually, probably after a week, we even stopped seeing the cargo ships. Yeah, um, I, I remember yeah. it was a good period in the middle there where we were we hadn't seen a cargo ship for three weeks. No, yeah. Nothing, no boats okay. whatsoever, and we celebrated our halfway point. And I was like, guys, you do realize that means we're the furthest away from help we're ever going to be. And because uh, yeah. we, we were 1,100 nautical miles, 1,400 miles yeah. away from anything. Yeah. So we, we, we were, I mean, in terms of being deserted, there's, there's yeah. no uh, sparse space in the world than the Pacific Ocean. It's where they have Point Nemo, which is the most sort of derelict place in the world. It's the furthest away from any land or any, any shipping you're, you're, lanes. Uh, at Point Nemo, you're um, closer to the International Space Station, which is 420 kilometers above you, Whoa. Than, than you are the nearest shipping lane, let alone land. Yeah. So the nearest shipping lane is 500 miles away. Okay, Point, so Point uh, Nemo. So astronauts are closer to you than, than yeah. ships. It's game over. And you mentioned weather. Like, can you describe to us uh, maybe the worst weather condition that you face? Like, what's it, what is it actually like being, you know, in this tiny little boat and just you guys against the elements? What's your mind going through at that time? Well, so the, the short answer is you get on there and all the waves seem big. So every wave that hits you, wow, that's a huge one. And then, and then the weather hits you and, oh, my God, these are the biggest waves ever. And then it just gets worse and worse. By the end, when you've seen the biggest possible wave, which is around 40 foot, with breakers on top of it, your your fear of the waves eventually sort of dissipates. But yeah, that that it, about forty foot with with breakers on top. Forty of foot waves. Yeah. How big yeah. is the boat? It's seven and a half meters long, and and when we set off, yeah. uh, the safety officer Ian Couch said to us, "Prepare yourself for the first forty eight hours of your life." And it was certainly the first, the worst. Well, for you, otherwise. for you, it was particularly bad. For, for me, it was particularly bad <laughs> because I, I uh, got seasick after about twenty-four hours. Can I, can I paint the picture here? So I, I, I was, I, I was just coming on at about three o'clock and four o'clock in the morning. Uh, so they'd just been rowing for their two-hour shift. We were, my brother and I were coming on for the two-hour shift. So I literally just like put my gear on, opened the door, I turned my head torch on, I caught Paris's eyes, and then just watched him flop to the side of the boat and try and get his head. Over the side, so that he could because my feet are strapped in to, <laughs> for the rowing. <laughs> so he's desperately, like desperately trying to be sick over this, and he's you know, obviously pukes everywhere. And uh, the biggest, probably one of the most important things about rowing an ocean. Bear in mind, you're rowing for up to 14 hours a day, burning up to 8,000 calories a day. Is how much food you eat. And Paris didn't eat a morsel for the first three, four days. So there, there I am. We, we, <laughs> at that point in time, we were yeah. rowing 14 hours a day. Mm. So I, I kept on shift, but. I'm burning maybe six, 7,000 calories and not taking any in. It was hell. It was absolute hell. And uh, the thing was is the one thing that we didn't really factor in before we went to California was how seriously cold it was. Like the, the water was 
10 degrees centigrade. Whatever they tell you about California, it's a lie. It's not warm, <laughs> sunny, full of surfers, whatever. No. It was 10 degrees, no. gloomy skies, rain, crosswind. It was, you know, We had Arctic. that for 10 days, right? And so, so there were, we, we hit two storms. And the thing about storms is if they hit land, they get given a name and everyone knows about them. Um, we hit one that uh, was coming into Hawaii called Storm Calvin, which everybody was very freaked out about because we, we were in that storm. The one that we hit leaving California and get, when we were out to sea, never hit land. Nobody knew about it's it. probably worse. Nobody yeah. heard about it. The mm. only people that were worried about it were four guys in a rowing boat hanging on for their lives in this freezing cold water because mm. the difference was... If we had capsized at that point in time, the water was 10 degrees, we would have got hypothermia within half an hour and we would have died of it in four to five hours. So our margin for error was really, really mm. thin. When we were coming into Hawaii, if we capsized the boat, we, we, we would have done some backstroke to land. We really quite enjoyed it. It was, it was beautiful. But, uh, but what happened when we hit Storm Calvin, uh, everybody on land was very scared for us because they our fat friends and family had mm. come to hawaii and the news was going mad and the news was going mad mm. and they're like what about these guys in the ocean mm. um we had a moment of a particularly difficult scare in the middle of the night when it hit and can i tell you this bit because well, so my brother and i were were on uh we, we the day before we'd all sat down on the boat and we knew the storm was going to hit us so we had sort of thought about what we were going to do and like clockwork it hit us in the middle of the night um the waves were behind us, the wind was behind us. So the fear actually was that we were going too fast and we, we would be pushed side on to the weather. And when you're side on to the weather, the waves crash over and you run the risk of capsizing. So the, it hit us, we were pushed onto the side as we thought might happen. We managed to get it straight for a moment and then back on the side again. And the, the plan had been to throw out the drogues. And the drogues are like throwing out the brakes. So we throw out a drogue, it, it sort of worked, but not fully. So he threw out the second drogue, which brought us in line. But then the bigger, the bigger drogue then ripped on the, the force of the waves. Uh, and, then they, and then the drogues got completely tangled around the rudder, which meant we lost steering. And then we're stuck backside on again. Ollie and I are desperately trying to fight the situation. We thought we need, we need some help. So I actually went to the, the bar where Paris slept, opened the door, said, Paris, Get the GoPro. <laughs> we need we need you out here. <laughs> they, said, they said priorities. Get the GoPro. I was asleep, and we only get like an hour and a half sleep in between uh -huh. sessions. So, so when I get this wake up call, it's like we need you on deck now. And uh, and I was like, okay. And door closes, and after about ten seconds, the boat just went yeah. almost upside down. And I was like. Oh, this is serious. The, you know, I'm not allowed to swear, but there's a lot of swearing going on. And, and, and I was like, I've got to get out there now, right? So I just like got ready. Usually yeah. I've got like at least, yeah. you know, five, 10 minutes to get ready. I had to get out there. And we, none of us knew how to correct this situation. Yeah. Some really stupid suggestions. So Ollie, so we're, we're stuck side on and, and Ollie's going, don't worry, I've got an idea. I'll just jump in the water. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll untangle the it's in the middle of the night and the waves are mad. Yeah, and there was back. a moment where we were like yeah okay you can do it and then we are like no actually this is a really bad obviously he would have been tied on but this is a really bad yeah. idea the, the last of safe thing you can do is to throw out your parachute anchor which is like a giant parachute and you throw it off the bow and the idea is that then it puts the nose of the boat into the weather which then means the weather uh, and waves crash over you and you have a sort of respite from... So we threw it out and lo and behold, we, we, we were then nose on. 
in the process, um, Ollie, whilst trying to row, uh, pulled his shoulder out properly. Luckily, it popped back in. And then, and then when we were trying to f fix the drogues after that, which was still in a tangled, tangled mess around the rudder, Ollie then almost fell overboard. So his, you know, his legs came up. Poor guy. And I, I was busy. I was busy pulling in the drogues, and Ollie got really angry with me after. He says, "You didn't even notice that I, I fell overboard." And I was like, "Well." He didn't fall overboard, so I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to make an issue out of it because I almost died. Anyway, we were fine, and then well, um, the, the, yeah. the point you missed out here is: in order to get the drogues out, I had to hold him by his ankles <laughs> over the edge of the boat, and he was just hanging off the edge, fishing out the lines to, in the middle of the night with these forty-foot waves knocking us. I had talked to our head torches. Yeah, I'm yeah. waiting. I'm waiting to see it on uh, on Netflix. To be honest, Anno like. annoyingly, annoyingly, you have got footage. Annoyingly, it just doesn't come out very well because yeah. it's in the middle of the night. But yeah, you get, you'll get the well, idea. We've got the commotion. We yeah. have to ask. Yeah. Uh, less people have done this than have gone into space or climbed Everest. So when you started the journey, why? Like, what motivated you to actually see this whole thing through? Well, I think we've all got, well, varying motivations uh, for different reasons. Um, uh, I realized as I was doing this that this was like my life dream as a kid. I used to fantasize about uh, being on a raft, going across the ocean to some desert island and no surviving. I've always just liked this idea of just trying to see how I can survive. So that, that's been pretty much my life. Uh, you know, I have a TV show all about uh, adventure and go and do these things. Um, we all, I think, had a, a deeper motivation that had spurred us uh, to take action on these things. Um, uh, I mean, how I can mention his, I, I, you know, had uh, someone cl close to me die who hadn't lived their life to the fullest. And I was like, that's it. No more, uh, no more thinking about it. Let's get doing all the all the things, all the guys yeah. that I thought were heroes for what they did. I want to go and do all those things, yeah. um, and and so that was my thing. But you, yeah, I mean, there are a few. I was always my brother and I grew up on the water. Um, as life turns out, we were split, you know, from the age of eighteen onwards. But we always had this desire to do a massive adventure together. So that was the first thing. But in terms of ocean rowing specifically. Um, I was a soldier for for eleven years. Um, one of my one of my great one of my soldiers and now great friends was very badly injured. He was a double amputee in an IED strike. Um, he went into a coma uh, for he was in a coma for almost forty days. Um, woke up, life changed forever, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, a, a really good friend of mine, a guy called James Kyle, who had rode the Indian Ocean, went to hospital to go meet this guy called Kale Royce, MBE for services to veterans, and said, don't worry, Royce, we're going to do a big adventure. And Royce, a year to the day after being hit by this IED strike, rode the Atlantic with James Kyle as part of a half amputee crew, two amputee guys, wow. two fully abled. And then because he's a complete lunatic, he then did it again the year after that as part of an all amputee crew. So Roycey for me was Amazing. a massive inspiration. And, and I went to this event uh, after his row with my brother and that was what planted the seed with Ollie. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was like a 10 year mission which we'd been procrastinating and finally COVID got us across the line to start actually organizing it. But that was, that's, that's the inspiration for me. That's my, well, yeah. some strong motivation there. Mm. And in case anyone is watching and mm. they're inspired by your story, mm. what's the preparation like? Like, could I decide, okay, this is what I want to do. Uh, is there a lot of money involved? Um, mm. Mentally, physically, what type of preparation do you need to take this challenge? The, the, well, there's lots of things. Um, the, the first question I had 
when we started this out as how on earth are we going to pay for it? It is expensive. You know, this is a, these are bespoke boats. Uh, there are only 100 or so in the world. So we rang up Rannock, the boat maker, and you know, got our first understanding of how much this is going to cost. All in, we're, we're, plus the charity money we wanted to raise, we're talking around £300,000. Um, and so, yeah, the first thing we did was go to sponsors, and, and we were very lucky um, with our local network here in Legatum, which is an amazing philanthropic fund. There you go, there. Were the first Strong people, logo, Legatum. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and we aligned with their, some of their mission and values, and, and so they were the people that got us going. And then another amazing company, GSB Capital, uh, which is a private wealth firm you know, focused on, on ESG here in Dubai. They were sort of the second big supporter we got. And then after there, it was a sort of trickle of, of yeah. smaller tickets. But that is probably the most stressful part of, of yeah, planning I mean, and preparation. That was yeah. like two years yeah. of, of raising money. I mean, so the biggest factor about being able to cross the ocean is money, right? Mm -hmm. So if people say it's about fitness or resilience, you're not even going to be able to test that if you haven't got the money. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, I, I've realized that I think probably if people said, look, I th I'm thinking about rowing an ocean, I'd probably tell them, um, don't do it. Go and climb a mountain. Yeah, do, do something else. There you go, guys. Yeah, no, no, I, I, <laughs> You've I'm, heard it here first. I'm serious because like, mm. I, it's, I do a lot of different adventures, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I skydive, I believe anyone can skydive, uh, paramotor, so is Harry, Harry actually, uh, his, his company taught me. Um, I believe anyone can do it. Scuba diving, anyone can do it. Not anyone can row an ocean. That's for sure. Um, we, you need a particular type of mentality to be mm. able to deal with that. And if you don't have it and you find yourself in the middle of the ocean mm. and you now realize that you're not right for this, it's going to be hell. Yeah. Um, and it's also going to probably be fatal. So, so it's not something I, I promote to people and say, look, we're the ocean rowers. You've got to get out there. It's like, no, like, I'm not, not pushing don't, anyone to don't do that. Don't do it lightly. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's a wonderful thing because it, when you're when you're faced with that you know, level of endurance and um, you're, it strips away everything. You know you're you're exhausted, tired, very exposed, often often afraid, um, and, and you know, probably uniquely to rowing, but many endurance sports are the same. You you're stripped down to nothing, and so you're you're you you have to be. You can only be yourself, uh, and there's no hiding from uh, the people around you. Uh, and yourself, and you have to rely on the team uniquely. And then you have this wonderful moment where, uh, when you when you're when you get over sort of that initial, God, I'm trapped on a boat, where you you feel wonderfully free on the ocean as well, because you're sort of free of the shackles of your mind mm. and your perceived limits. Um, and then, dare I say, there is some enjoyment that starts coming in eventually um, well, we when you see today. Hawaii <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah well yeah. We, we, yeah. we definitely had a great time I mean yeah. I, I mean it's interesting because I, I, ha yeah. I haven't seen Harry since we left Hawaii and I've been in Hawaii until like a few days ago I'm still pretending on social media that I'm in Hawaii so I think he was supposed to come back a long time I, ago I think I've blown the cover with, with the Love and Dubai show <laughs> uh, but um, uh, it's interesting because I've got my version of the story and I haven't yet heard Harry's version of the story or the other guys true yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, I've just been slagging him off for the last, <laughs> the last three months yeah uh, but, but I, I remember it just being I just had a great except for those first three days where I was uh, you know sick as a dog I um I really enjoyed it, and it brought out a different version of us because we've known each, like we've known each other a long time before, you know. So obviously, Harry and Ollie were brothers; they've known each other their whole lives. Ollie was at school with me since I was fifteen. Uh, Barney was at school with Ollie since they were eight. So we've all known each other a long time. 
But we were different people on that boat. Mm. Um, I, and we were different people when we got off it afterwards. But when mm. after day one, all of the ego, all of the bravado that we had heaps among us, because we, we, you know, we all got this kind of boarding school, rough and tumble, you know. Um, it shattered to zero when we realized the seriousness of the situation we're in. And we just, just evolved into this very supportive team. Mm. And I believe it brought out the best of us. I mean, like, um, you know, I've, I've watched the footage on there and I miss it. I miss what we what we were doing and and just the jokes we were having all the time and just oh, the yeah, constant I mean, banter. Your 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 cheerfulness is is a superpower. Yeah, and and mm. actually taking the piss out of each other is is a remarkably <laughs> effective way of like <laughs> yes. elevating your your morale. And uh, uh, can I tell a story about James Blunt? <laughs> so we're, we're, so so uh, we're again. It's, it was a hot day. I was off shift, uh, Barney was rowing, Barney was Paris's um, partner, and Paris ca- had come on shift in really jolly mood, chatty and what have you. And then um, uh, and then we're listening to music as we always do, and then so this James, you know, it was goodbye my lover comes on and Paris just like breaks down. Like, <laughs> well, it was, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it was, yeah, it's fine. We, we were shocked, we were going, oh my What's wrong with them? He finally snapped. <laughs> well, well, this is it. Is because uh, I think initially uh, Ollie had hit an emotional yeah. uh, point, and he was really missing his wife. And then I had a chat with Harry, and you know, he said, mm. "Look, this is the first time I've been away on an expedition mm. where I've actually had a wife and two kids, because he's been mm. off doing these things his whole life, but never, never with with, with a wife and kids." Mm. And so, you know, he had a, a bit of a moment, and I was the only one on the boat that is not married, don't have kids, and I generally have a bit of bravado and totally mm. fine. So they've never seen me in any sort of emotional situation. No. And You're I, such a jolly guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just I just I just broke down in the it was about halfway through the race. Right? It was almost exactly halfway, yeah. 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 And I I th- I've now had luckily I've had enough time to reflect on things. I spent a couple of months in Hawaii and, mm. and try, now I can look back and go, why did everything happen the way it did? And by the and way, we banned James Blunt after that. Yeah, yeah, no more like, James Blunt after right, that. No more right? James Blunt. No. He did his job. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I realized, because at that point in time, um, it had really hit home to me um, that when you've been stripped of everything, we didn't have a bed, we didn't have um, a shower, we didn't have any of the basics, let alone the luxuries of life, you know, that you start to really... Uh, come to terms with what is important to you mm. and and how we take those things for granted the the things because they're around us all the time it's the people we love it's mm. the the people that are there for us it's it's the the basic things that if you take them away mm. you now realize how important they are mm. yeah and no I, no one misses their car yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no one misses all the things that i was we not have we, we were not eager yeah. to learn what's in the yeah. news like we were you just don't yeah. care about that stuff you you miss your the, the people that have actually been there for you and mm. you start to realize who they are and then i i had come to a, a realization at that point um maybe not consciously but subconsciously um that i'd taken a lot of things for granted throughout my life and and i've lost them because i because i did and um and that song triggered a oh, you're gonna go again now aren't you oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone out there. There's someone out there that's been lost, guys, and that is you watching. So I, I was. Do you know what? It's funny because you know men obviously get a lot of uh, don't get much credit for sort of being emotionally, but we 
we, uh, Barney and I were initially quite shocked. And we were like, wow, this is, you know. And then we, we spoke through it. And we then had a laugh. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was a very cathartic experience. <laughs> you just, you really sort of reset in many ways. So, so beautiful. Guys, yeah. that is all yeah. we have time for on the show cool. this morning. But um, what an absolutely epic, uh, resilient challenge that you put yourself through. So brave. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Guys, that is all we have time for the Love and Dubai show this morning. We're back with you tomorrow morning, same time, same place. Goodbye for me. <laughs> <laughs>